Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Hardwood Hoops podcast. This is episode 22, and Mr. Ben Jones is back, back with a vengeance. Back in the building, baby. How you doing, buddy? Good to have you back. Yeah, I'm good. I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, all good, thanks, mate. Enjoyed game seven last night, uh, which we'll go on and talk about in a minute, so that was fun. Uh, and I go on holiday today, so psyched for that. Woo! Everything's looking up. Yep, and how is uh, life being an NBA fan and now being back to work? I think that's the key question. Uh, it's, it's very tiring. <laughs> very difficult. <laughs> Those summer holidays seem long gone now, I imagine. Oh, yeah, they, they flew by. So, uh, uh, bring on the next round. <laughs> Definitely. Um, cool. All right, well, we're going to start, as we usually do, with a little bit of uh, news from around the league and then move on to our... East and West uh, reviews, and then we've got a little preview for the Eastern Conference Final, Ben, because we finally know who's going to be in that one, yes. so exciting episode. Um, yeah. Let's start with the news. Um, Mr. Billy Donovan, obviously I chatted a little bit with uh, Joe in our last episode um, about that one, but obviously we haven't heard your thoughts. He It's now come out that he got offered a new contract before the bubble, uh, and it was him that turned that down, so me and Joe kind of did say in the last episode we think it was more of a Donovan decision than a Thunder decision, uh, and that's kind of come to light. Uh, what are your thoughts on him choosing to leave, uh, and do you think he'll get another job relatively quickly? I think for him, after this season, if if he wanted to leave OKC at any point, this is a great time to do it, because his stock must be super, super high. Teams are going to want him after seeing what he's done with that OKC team. Everyone knows before the season how low down the expectations were of that team and how well they've done since. It's incredible. How much of it is down to Billy Donovan uh, is questionable because when you've got a player like Chris Paul on the floor, he's going to be pulling a lot of the in-game strings. So those results could be down to his leadership, although Billy Donovan obviously has been coaching them well behind the scenes. He's put a good team around himself to get these results, keep everybody fit and healthy and, and firing on all cylinders and for calling the plays when needed. So if he wants to move and, and get a big contract, this is a great time to do it. And so in, in terms of that, I think he's made a brilliant decision. It's just whether it pays off. We know there's lots of uh, coaching jobs out there that need filling. So I'm sure he will get a look in somewhere. It's just which team is he going to be a good or what do you think? Yeah, I think that um, he kind of picked the best summer for it. That probably did come into his thinking a little bit in terms of the turnover of coaches. Um, if there's ever a chance to get a big contract or kind of maybe hand-pick the job that you want a little bit, um, he's probably got the best chance he's going to have, especially coming off a good season. Um, if he was coming off a season where they've done poorly or some of these coaches that are getting linked that maybe haven't coached this year, uh, it might be harder to get a job, but he's probably going to be one of the main candidates out there, I imagine, if you want someone that's been there and done it already. So I think that was good. In terms of team fit, I don't really know. It depends really what the GMs want to do, because like I said, we've said before, if you don't match up your GM and your coach, it can kind of lead to problems, can't it? You can lead to one getting fired further down the line and delaying your rebuild. Yeah. So it kind of depends on what relationships he already has with a GM, which we don't know. But I do agree with Joe's thinking last week that Sacramento wouldn't be a bad fit because they're a young team. But obviously, they're going to go with Walton at least for the start of next season. So that would mean Billy Donovan would have to sit out for a bit, which maybe he'd want to do. Um, I'm not sure he'd be a great fit with the Pacers, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Nets' job's already gone. Nick's job's already gone. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Houston because the Antony doesn't want to re-sign, so I think it might be a wait and see with that one. But yeah, I think a good decision for him and his family. Um, and maybe he just didn't want to be part of a full Thunder rebuild, especially if he knows behind closed doors that they want to trade Chris Paul, which I think is probably going to happen. Yeah, we have to keep our eye on the Bucks as well. You never know. They might chat with him and swap that out for him, maybe. Yeah, and I think the Bulls' job as well, that's still open, isn't it? Yes, yeah, Bulls' job. Um that's a youngish team as well that yeah. maybe you can mould in a way you'd want to, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, in terms of another coaching link, um, Mr. Chauncey Billups then has been linked to the Pacers job. 
Uh, obviously, we all know Chauncey Phillips, an all-star guard, played with my man Mello in, uh, at Denver. Um, but I would just caveat this story with he has been linked to a lot of NBA front office jobs before and a lot of coaching jobs. Um, he's supposed to go wherever Ty Lue goes, who's obviously heavily liked this summer. Uh, he's been linked to GM jobs in Detroit a number of times. Uh, New York as well a few times. Uh, so I think with Mr. Chauncey Billups, uh, it's kind of a wait and see. What are your thoughts on uh, this Chauncey Billups story we've had? Mr. Big Shot. Yeah, he's been linked with so many teams over the years, hasn't he? Um, I love Chauncey Billups. I think he is a great He's been proven to be a great leader. He's a versatile player. He can play offense and defense. In terms of a coach, that sort of comes across really well. Like on paper, he would, for me, looks an incredible coach, although he's had next to no coaching experience in the NBA world. He could be worth the risk. Uh, especially from the Pacers, I feel like he could fit that team really, really well and really bring on their players, depending on what coaching staff he puts around himself as well. It's just that factor he's been linked with so many clubs. Is it just he quite likes the the headlines and the stories and staying relevant in the media? Or is he actually going to go for one of these seriously at some point? Uh, Especially, as we already talked about, there's so many coaches out there already ready to go um it's difficult to know where the paces are going to go they're obviously we obviously think they're going to hold out for d'antoni and see how they go when they uh get knocked out by the lakers so uh we'll have to wait and see on that one but i'd love to see chancey coaching in the league i think that'd be brilliant bring him back yeah Yeah. i still think those first rumors of the paces wanting d'antoni must have some legs in it because Antonio's agents come out and said that it's all well and good that Houston want him to stay, but it's his contract and he can choose if he resigns or if he leaves. Um, and I think the Pacers, if they do want him that bad, might throw some money at him. So, yeah, I think Billups could be more of a backup option for them, if yeah. he's even an option. Um, he could just have really good agents to keep putting his name out there, so he keeps getting paid more to stay in media. Uh, that wouldn't be completely surprising if that was the case. Um we know that Steve Kerr's kind of agents kind of did that a lot the year that he was uh, on the sidelines doing TNT and yeah. kind of meant that when he was ready to come back, he had obviously the Warriors, the Knicks, and I think there was two other teams that offered him a deal, he said. Um, and it kind of meant that he could have the pick of who he wanted. So maybe Billups is just biding his time, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, we're definitely going to do an episode this summer, aren't we, on coaching changes and um, new coaches and potential hires that haven't been done because there's going to be a hell of a lot of changes this summer, I think. Yeah, big turnover this year. Uh, cool. All right, well, we'll move on to a little bit of bad news now, Ben. Uh, Mr. Daniel House. Oh, boy. Uh, not good, not good. He's been kicked out of the bubble. Um, here's what we know officially. Uh, he missed game three and four uh, when he was under investigation for breaking bubble protocol. Uh, the NBA then released a statement saying that he has been basically, well, they didn't use these words, but he's been kicked out of the bubble. Um, he won't be returning for any games, no matter what happens with Houston, even if they did pull pull out the world's biggest comeback and got all the way to the finals, he's, he's gone. Uh, and it's because of an unauthorised guest in his room spread over many hours um, that the league's been made <laughs> aware of. Um, so sure that's what we know. Was. <laughs> that's what we know officially. Um, unofficially rumours are that it was a COVID tester, a female COVID tester that he invited back to his room which obviously isn't allowed but that's not been written in this statement so we have to say allegedly for that um, just not good Ben, whether you take out the pandemic side but if you just think pure about basketball I just can't believe it really because your team needs you I think they play seven men rotations pretty much he's the sixth, sixth, seventh man depending on the night in terms of minutes uh, sometimes, even in the first round, he got up to like the fourth or fifth most minutes in games because when he hits threes, he does get quite good, um, quite a good streaky three-point shooter. So in terms of basketball, he's really let his team down. Um, they had much less chance of winning in game three and four, which obviously they didn't do. 
they have much less chance of winning the survival game. Um, and in the pandemic terms, it's just a very stupid thing to do, especially if you know you're going to be home and out of a bubble environment in probably a week. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Because Houston came out initially and said personal reasons, didn't they? Because Tyson Chandler was out as well. I don't yeah. know how, he, if he plays into all this or if he genuinely is out as well. Um, I guess from House's point of view, it's somebody already in their bubble, so why should it matter? But at the same time, you don't risk anything at this point in time. A, for health reasons, the bubble has been fantastic. Everybody on the whole has behaved brilliantly and there's been no outbreaks or incidences. Why risk that now? Especially this far in, in terms of your team, on the second point, why would why would you jeopardise your chance at a legitimate run at a championship for getting your end away for a couple of hours? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous when you think about it. You think the amount of people that still haven't like brought families into the bubble and stuff because a they want everybody in the bubble to be safe, they want their family to be safe, and they also don't you know they're there for essentially work. Mm-hmm. And they yeah, don't, it's not very professional. They don't want a distraction. And little old Eddie sneaking around, it's not It's not good. It's come across really badly, actually. So Yeah, uh, it doesn't look good for his... I think he's out of contract as well. This summer or next, I don't think it's going to bode well uh, if he wants to stay in Houston. Um, if the coaching staff and Daniel Moore remain as GM, then they're certainly going to remember this incident because... Whether or not they'd have won game three and four without him, we will never know. But they can definitely cite him missing as one of the reasons why they lost those two games uh, and kind of hold that against him to a point. Um, but yeah, also going back to what you said about someone who's already in the bubble, the problem was if the rumours are true that who it was, they only come into the bubble to do testing in like full PPE gear then go back to like their, where, where they work. And for him, for him to just kind of do what he's done is just shocking. I just... I don't know how AA's got away with it because obviously it's quite a, uh, a big testing centre they've got there and obviously players are going to and from. So I don't know quite how it's even happened, but to think he could get away with it and not jeopardise his team or the bubble is very, very stupid and um, goes down as one of the funnier but more annoying stories we've spoken about since we started the pod. Maybe he's just really into people in PPE gear, you know? Where's <laughs> it going? Maybe. Well, your wife is a nurse, so maybe he's been asking you for advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've sent him some post. <laughs> well, send it to Houston, not to Orlando, because he gone. <laughs> yeah, that's generally where all the posts to be going for that team, I think. <laughs> cool. All right, well, that's the unfortunately a bit of bad news, but let's get the podcast back on a bit of a high. We're going to move on to talk about the Eastern Conference um, round two games now. Uh, we'll start with last night's one. Absolute cracker of a series. The Celtics pulled it out in Game 7. They won 4-3 against the Raptors. Uh, game 7 wasn't quite as good offensively as previous, um, but they had just come off a huge double overtime win, which everyone had played like nearly 50 minutes of basketball, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, game 7, huge again from Marcus Smart on both ends. Just absolutely kills the, the Raptors. Uh, Lowry fouled out in the last two minutes, which I wrote down was crucial. Um, they really struggled to generate offense with him off the floor. And once again, for me, my last little bit of notes, not to slag the Raps off too much, but Van Vliet is not a max contract player and neither is Pascal Siakam. Uh, I think Siakam struggled again offensively and really struggles about Lowry to get his own shot. But... Yeah, it's, I feel like this series, the, the difference maker for Boston has been smart. The game for Smart has really stepped up alongside their sort of big three, if you will, playing well. They've absolutely they've looked dominant across the games that they've had all those things fall into place. Um, and the Toronto Raptors have looked very reactive. So they've been very good at coming away, altering what they need to do, going out again, playing better defence, playing better offence. Then they might come back with a, maybe a second win like just, and then they'll lose a game by quite a bit. Then they'll make the adjustments they need again and come back in. But if you're playing like that in the playoffs and you're not getting ahead of your opposition at any point, 
then you're not going to pull out series win. Um, Pascal looked way better in the regular season, but now teams have had time to to study him and the way he plays. They're much like Giannis. They noticed so many holes in his game and they can shut him down quite easily. Um, Yeah, I don't think Fred is a max player. I would take a risk of 20 to 25 maybe on him. But because he can he can shoot well, he can play well, his defense is good in a team where everybody else around him is stepping up as well and playing well. He could be a brilliant sort of third or fourth guy to go to. I I would say yeah, he could be a really good third guy. Um he could maybe fit in quite well with that Bucks team, maybe take some pressure yeah, off him too. He, he wouldn't really fit in with that Bucks team if they could yeah. do some sort of sign and trade with him. Yeah, that could um, work really well. But I think you're right. The difference maker at the end of the day for Toronto is Carlari. And when he's not on the floor, they're, they're just lost. Yeah, they really struggle. And their coaching, we've said it before, haven't we, that their coaching advantage kind of is their main advantage, um, which you're going to get all the time. But Brad Stevens is probably the second best coach <laughs> potentially yeah. in the league. So yeah. your advantage is a little bit reduced in this series. Uh, and then obviously you've got no um, Kawhi Leonard anymore, which is kind of your your big shot hitter consistently. Uh, and then without those two little advantages that you would have had last year over most teams, I just think that maybe they fell away a little bit. Um and it's kind of a lot of people were shocked that they were even took this to seven, um, and I kind of agree with that. I did think it was going to be a six-game series, so to get it to seven was quite impressive. Anyway, um, for me, and it kind of all we mentioned it before, didn't we, about the Annie Obi shot? That if that doesn't go in, we could be seeing a sweep. And that was almost how dominant the Celtics were, but the Raptors kind of just fed off that energy. And Carl Lowry is a perfect energy player. Yeah, um, and but he just couldn't quite get them over the line in the end. Lack of help and. Just not a lot of scoring and ball creating, unfortunately, for uh, Toronto in this series. But they still did well, and they did not disgrace themselves uh, as last year's champions. But it means we will have new champions this year. Yeah, exactly, which is brilliant. But you look at what everybody was saying at the beginning of the season, our quiet left, there's not much chance of them doing anything. And then by halfway through the season, people are actually talking about them legitimately going back to back. That's how good this team has performed. Um, so to take this Boston team to seven games with the squad that they've got, I think is fantastic. The, the, they should be massively proud of their performances and their grit and their grind to take it this far is fantastic. And fair play to Boston as well to go up as far as they did and then to have them come back and to still not sort of lose morale and cave and keep this going and win that game seven is fantastic for them for such a young team as well. I know they've got people like Kemba who, you know, that leadership comes through, but he's never been to a playoff and like had a playoff run like this in his life. So it's all new for him as well. So that, that shows how good I think the coaching is there with Brad Stevens and just how well knitted they are as a team. They are a great team. It's just pulling out the performances that they need night in, night out. That's where Boston need to, to, I guess, become more consistent. Yeah, maybe more consistent in the biggest games. And when you have players that not necessarily play similar positions, but when you're kind of based so heavily on the wing, you can see yeah. that late in games, if people haven't quite got it, that they're almost trying to take similar shots. And that's when they go a bit more ISO to Kemba. And if Kemba's got it, they win games 10, 15, well, 8, 10, 15, 20 points in the big games. But if Kemba's having a bit of an off night uh, and you haven't got, obviously, Hayward, who can kind of score every once inside, uh, you can see that Smart, Brown and Tatum kind of all want similar shots. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's when Coach Stevens kind of really drums up some really good plays to get somebody open because he kind of knows that if he doesn't and lets them just run out as he wants, that they kind of all want very similar shots and they're going to take up each other's spaces. So I do think that that's very clever from Coach Stevens, the way he kind of runs the offense late in games. But on the other end, having those three players that are all kind of wings, kind of smart as a guard, really, but he, he plays in guards like a wing. Um, 
absolutely insane on the defensive end. Ben. The way they, the way they kind of stopped Siakam when they needed to. They kind of got on Ibaka's face. He's obviously bigger than all of them when they needed to. Uh, and they made Larry take some tough threes at times in game three and four. I just think, wow, the Celtics defensively look a lot better than probably I thought they were going to be. Yeah, very versatile. The way they can move on the court is incredible. Going forward and coming back. They're just, yeah, very, very versatile. Very young and athletic and and good in, in those areas, which is what's going to make this next series, I think, really enjoyable to watch. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're two exciting teams and Celtics proved in this series, didn't they? They like to run when they can. Yeah, and we all know the Heat can do that if they want to as well. So uh, my question for that series coming up is, who's going to get the first technical? Is it going to be Jimmy or Marco? <laughs> uh, Coach Spo. <laughs> <No>, uh, <laughs> yeah, good, I don't know. I don't know. Marcus calmed down a little bit. But it could be Marcus. Jalen Browns can get a little bit fiery. Or you've got big Duncan Robinson might kick up a storm on the bench. <laughs> yeah. We all know what he's like. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a question, last question for you on this Raptors Celtic series. Um, obviously, Fred Van Vliet can go now this summer. I think he's unrestricted as well. So they can't really match any. They can offer what they want to offer, but they can't match any of the offers afterwards that people have have uh, put in. Um, do you think that the Raptors should now go for a mini rebuild and kind of start again? Because obviously they've got a backer um, and Gasol as well, who's getting older, that can leave in free agency. They've got Van Vliet, who might want more money than maybe he's worth. And you could have to pay that for a four or five year window. Lowry's getting older, so it could lead to him struggling. Do you think they need to kind of reboot? Or do you think they need to do one or two moves, go again, try and win another title? Um, I think they need to start looking towards the future and keep developing sort of Pascal and those other couple of younger players because he he's shown his potential this season, definitely. It's just he's very one-dimensional in the playoffs. That's the issue, and they need to sort that out. Um, they've got some older players on the roster, like Lowry's not going to be around forever, Gasol and Ibaka. You know, you can't, those three players, you can't just rely on them. And that's what they were doing this season and in this, this playoff run. And they've probably, uh, between them, got three or four more. That's three or four tops, m- more seasons where they're playing at that sort of level, if that. Um, it's my issue would be if they go into a sort of a mini rebuild or a rebuild. Does Nick Nurse want to stick around and coach a rebuild team? Or does he then look at moving on to another championship potential team somewhere in the future? It's a tricky, tricky decision to make. Um, Personally, I think they need to start looking at rebuilding. They've got a really good GM as well. So there might be a few opportunities to come around this summer that we, we don't know about, whether that's a sign-in trade with Van Vliet. Someone else wants him, but okay, what can we get back? Can we do some sort of deal? Um, yeah. They might move Carl Lowry on. You don't know what they're going to do. They might pack a, package a couple of their bench players together and try and get a younger star to go alongside Lowry. I do think that long-term, they probably do need to rebuild, but maybe if the coach doesn't want to be involved with that, the GM could try and try and do some moves to keep them going. I think it's going to be an interesting summer, uh, well, winter for... Uh, <laughs> for uh, the Raptors, for sure. But they, they're not a disgrace, and they did really well, and there's a good future for them. Um, and everyone in uh, Toronto absolutely loves them and the whole account, yeah. to be honest. So That's the other they, side, isn't it? It used to be a destination that players sort of almost feared going. Mm-hmm. But now, in this modern NBA era, it, I think it's a place where players want to go. It sounds like incredible. The, the things I've read about Toronto as a city and the things the players come out and say about it, it's all just glowing and positive and, and it's, it sounds brilliant. So why wouldn't you? And like we both said, the organisation is really well run. The coaching is incredible. It's a, it's a perfect destination for a player now. So I, I, I think that if they want to, I think they can make these moves and bring players in 100%. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's all going to depend what direction 
hierarchy wants to go in. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, on to the next uh, matchup in the, the East. Obviously, me and Joe spoke about it quite a lot uh, on the last episode, so I won't go into too much details. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Heat uh, Bucks ending to the series. Uh, and if you think Giannis will stay or leave eventually, the same question I asked Joe. But before I mention that, actually, also, I've got the uh, Celtic score right. I said 4-3 Celtics. You said 4-3 Raps. So yeah, just wanted, wanted to get that out there on the pods. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but, but yeah, back to the Heat game. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts on the end of the series, like I said, and Giannis going forward and what the Bucks need to do for next year to get over the edge? It was a painful watch. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I, I think Giannis stays. I think he signs the big deal. And then in three or four, two or three seasons, maybe three or four seasons, if they haven't won a championship or they're not going in the right directions. He requests a trade. I think it's a lot of money for him to pass up, especially seen as generally the organization are doing what they can to sort of please him and build around him and, and push this team. Like they, they were technically before the playoffs, the best team in the NBA. When you look at their record and their stats and they are a phenomenal regular season team. But when teams play them night in, night out, they can read them, they can predict them, and they can shut them down. And that's, well, is it on the older roster that they've got? Is it on the coaching? Something needs to change for the Bucks if they want to be successful next season. And it's for... Probably more the coaching than the roster. Um, although they do need to get rid of some of their older players and, and bring in some new life somewhere, someone, some somebody else who can create a shot and and be dangerous on offense. Because we all know that their defense is really good. Uh, Does it remind you at all of your uh, old second tier LeBron Cavs team when they tried to do the whole? George Hill, Dwayne Wade. Um, you even had Jeff Green, and then you did actually have Carl uh, Corver as well on that team that kind yeah, of all focused yeah, on LeBron, and it was very drive and kick. Uh, yeah. When it comes to playoff time, uh, obviously LeBron can get many different shots to Giannis, which isn't any fault of Giannis's in terms of skill set, his age, but yeah. Giannis can't get those shots. So if you're, you're driving kicks, you're in the option, and your star can't get multiple different shot creation chances going. I'm not sure how you can score efficiently. And I wonder if that's kind of why Coach Bud increases his rotation because he hasn't got many good scorers no. or shooters for the driving kick. So he kind of rotates to try and see who's hot that night. Uh, and I also think he likes to rotate for defensive reasons because they've got, they have got a few good defenders in the team. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they'll fire Bud. So if they want success, they need to change the roster. But if they don't change the roster and keep Bud, I think that for the season after next, he'll be in a lot of trouble because I think they'll, if they can't do the, the roster this year financially, I think they'll just get to a point where they say that we need to change coaches to try and see if they can yeah. come up with a different strategy because we're struggling with our roster. They'll be in the luxury tax with the, the Yarnis Supermax and they might just be out of options and just say, oh, all we can get is vet, vet mins and draft picks. So we kind of need to find a different coach with a different style maybe long term. Yeah, I, well, like you said, it's what you pointed out. The Cavs noticed by, well, before the trade deadline that that style, that those players, it wasn't going to work and they traded nearly everybody and basically got a fresh roster in, which went to the finals. It, It's on the organisation to step up and go, actually, this isn't working. We need to make some changes. We need to make some decisions like Toronto did. We've got these superstars. We've got DeRozan, but actually, we're gonna we're gonna roll the dice here. We're gonna go for go for it. Go for broke and get in a superstar, and the risk paid off. So it's time for the Bucks to, I think, maybe roll the dice because it can show Giannis then that they are so serious about keeping him around and pushing for a championship that he is more likely to sign on rather than playing it safe and running it back 
and going for that. Winning the East record again and then getting eliminated in the playoffs because our team's too old and Giannis can only spin in the lane and go for a dunk. It's they need more from their from their team, from their plays. So Yeah, I agree. I think they missed out a little bit. I know loads of people have, but with it being in the bubble, um they had a very good home record this year, didn't they? And I think they were kind of banking on going all out in the regular season to get that home court advantage and get through to the finals that way and just see what happened. But obviously everything happened, ended up being bubble basketball, which suited them even less. Uh, and then poor coaching for me. Uh, and probably a little bit of poor play from Giannis. Uh, like I said last week, I think the amount of times he barrels down the lane and gets offensive fouls called against him and gets in foul trouble so easily. I do think that was impacting them early on in the series. And when you start going 3-0 down, even if you win the next game like they did, it's so hard to come back that you kind of put yourself in a bit of a hole. Yeah. Um, but I think he needs someone with him. He needs someone who can create shots. He needs someone that can um, get his own shot for himself, but also create shot for others. Uh, and obviously ball handle, so Giannis doesn't have to carry the ball up the court and you're not relying on Bledsoe and stuff to carry the ball up the court. Um, That's it. If somebody's bringing the ball up and they've got the potential to pull up and shoot at any point, You've already spread the floor more for Giannis to get inside and, and go for those dunks and stuff. So people aren't going to be stood waiting for him down the lane, ready to take a charge or to block his shot. So do you see them do you see them having to move one of uh Bledsoe or Middleton to have success with Giannis just to try and get more players? Um or do you see them more having to package three or four rotation pieces just for one piece to add? How do you think they're they're best off? approaching it for me I think Bledsoe needs to go and they need to get somebody else in there pick up the ball handling duties and create shots there because then you've still got Middleton as a huge threat outside however I don't think he offers much on the trade market really um, so do you then start looking at Packaging Milton for two sort of mid players, or like you said, they could easily get rid of rotation players for one or two and then sign a couple of free agents. Definitely, teams would still want a, like a George Hill off the bench or a Carl Corver for spot minutes here and there to just run a play for him to hit a three and then put him back on the bench. There's still a market for them, um, it's just not a huge one. No, definitely. I think, I don't know if it's this summer as well, that Robin Lopez might have a player option as well. So that's someone that actually has done well in this system. So they kind of need to keep him. And they're going to lose, I think, Pat Connaughton and Kyle Corver as well, which, to be honest, is not huge losses. So, yeah. And I think Marvin Williams, after a good career, did retire as well straight after the Bucks lost. So that's a couple of pieces they've already lost just to try and, not necessarily in a good way, but just to get a little bit of new blood in before you've even done a big deal, which might just be enough to help us initially. And yeah. then maybe wait wait around to the trade deadline and see what you can get for certain players. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I won't go into too much detail. We'll talk about the Heat a bit more going on. But well done to the Heat, as we said before. Uh, incredible playoffs for them, incredible bubble. Uh, and they definitely proved a few people wrong, which is nice. Yeah, fantastic players, fantastic roster. Great coaching, great organization. Everything's just clicking for them. So um, they look they're young. They're young as well, aren't they? So the yeah. future's bright in general. To be fair, because Jimmy's not the oldest of stars either, which is nice. Um, cool. But we're going to talk about that series at the end in a bit more detail. So back to the West. Uh, last night we saw the Nuggets steal a win uh, against the Clippers, which surprised a lot of people. Um, so now the series is at three-two. Uh, Porter hit a clutch three down the stretch after his uh, lively Game 4 comments where he said the ball needs to be shared around more and people need more shots. Uh, and then he yeah. kind of proves himself right by hitting a huge three in someone's face, I don't know who it was, and dunking all over Montrez Harrell, which I liked a lot in the same game. Uh, and then Game 6 is at 6pm on Sunday. I thought I'd mention this because that is a crazy tip-off time for, for the UK to put it at 6pm. I don't know why that is. I don't know whether they're waiting around to see if they can move another game to Sunday night maybe. But currently, the only game on Sunday is 6pm uh, Game 6, which is quite fun for these two teams. Lovely. We like that. We do. Yeah. Um, Michael Porter Jr. needed to do something in this game, didn't he, after <laughs> his comments? I mean, 
he still was only seven points, thirty three percent shooting, but that three he hit was huge. And where he put the effort in was defensively this time. He was fighting for rebounds. He was scrapping. He was getting in front of players. He worked really hard in the minutes he got. And that was what we needed from him, I think, this game. The, the Nuggets did play better as a team. It wasn't just Jokic and Murray, please pull us through. Millsap played really, really well. Um, and the Clippers were a little bit sleepy again in this one. Switched off a bit, I think, thinking they had it wrapped up. Um, Lou Williams, 20% shooting, 2 from 10. Four points. Montrez Harrell, 6 points. There's your two sixth men contributing massively to the Clippers there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say, if you look at those two, and then Jermichael Green got three points off the bench in 14 minutes. Landry Shamit got three points in 14 minutes. They did their usual thing where they played Terrence Mann for 30 seconds, which winds me up, because I do not know what the hell the point is to put a player in for 30 seconds at the end of uh, the half, but they do. Uh, so, yeah, look at that. That's 16 points for bench, guys. That's not good enough, especially for having these two sick men yeah for a, for a team that runs that deep with that much talent if you're only getting that from your bench you're in for a, uh, a not a very successful night are you really um the nuggets just just took advantage massively i i still think the clippers are going to come back and put it to bed next game but yeah it for a team that's going on a championship run they need to be showing that fire earlier in a series. They can't just fall asleep and let these games go. They need to be killing teams off. They need to show that killer instinct and and go for it. I don't, I don't think they do it enough. No, I agree with you. I don't think they do it enough at all, to be honest, at times. I think you can see that from Kawhi. But you struggle to see it from anyone else, really. Uh, Marcus Morris does show it, but he shows it with a lack of ability and... Uh, Annoying manner, <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes they just don't seem as motivated, and I'm not quite sure on what your thoughts be on this. But what are your thoughts on the minutes? So obviously, Zubac is still getting 32 minutes a game, which is more than he was getting in the Mav series. And I know obviously Jokic is a big guy, and um, Harrell is struggling struggles defensively. But do you think that him getting 32 minutes and Pat Bev getting 27? Is good when Lou Williams and Montrez are only getting between the 16-18 mark on a night, or do you think they need to try and increase those bench bench minutes if possible? Um, I think it, like, some of it's quite reactive to how they're playing, maybe. So they're having a rubbish shooting night, so Doc maybe is a bit sort of wary of using them too much, thinking we'll just get it done with the guys that we've got. If, if Lou Williams has come out and in 10 minutes he's one from six or whatever, whereas you keep sort of Kawhi and Paul out there as much as possible and just run offense through them, because Lou Williams as well offers nothing defensively. Yeah, Harold's not a good defender either for a big, to be honest. No, so if they're not offering you anything offensively, what's the point in having them on the court? But does Jermichael Green need 14 minutes? <laughs> no, not really. But He's probably a good size to guard a, a Millsap. I think you're right. I think it, a lot of it is a little bit reactive. Yeah. Uh, it's just on the throwing, defensive body, end. throwing bodies at him, trying to slow him down because that's their, that's their pivot man. That's how the Nuggets run their offense through Jokic. And if you've got somebody... I guess it doesn't really matter who, to what extent, on him, just disrupting him, trying to make it difficult, then for the Clippers, the rest should look after itself. We've said that they've got two of the best wing defenders in the league, so really, Jamal Murray shouldn't be scoring as much as he is. Um, so I kind of get the way they're playing and, and how they're doing it. It's just contribution from the players in the minutes they're given 
isn't good enough for the Clippers at the moment. Yeah, a little shout-out for Tory Craig and Mason Plumlee as well for the bench and Nuggets, because defensively, when they come into the game, they are really, really doing well against the Clippers. Um, yeah. They're kind of holding holding the Clippers to limited score as much as possible when either Murray or Jokic has to take a break, um, which is quite nice. And I think the Nuggets just look quite quite, quite good team basketball-wise. Um, we said this before, we worried about them scoring, like who's the third scorer going to be. Uh, and that's kind of still true. If Millsap has a night where he scores 17 to 25 points, then they're going to have a good chance of winning. But on average, there's not no one after the front two that do that regularly, um, mm. which is maybe what Michael Porter Jr. was speaking to, that to try and get others involved a little bit more. But obviously, this is 3-2 now, Ben. Um, I can't remember what you said before the series started, but I think I said 4-2 to the Clips. Do you still see them just comfortably winning, or do you think that the Nuggets have a good chance of pushing it to a game seven or now after winning this game, you think the Clippers will just be like, right, let's get the ball in Kawhi's hands and just end this series now, move on. I think I think I either said four nil or four one. Um so I think you said four one because you like I think you, I think you said I didn't think you said four 0 because you're a bit of a Jokic fan, aren't you? So I do like a Jokic, yeah. Uh they need to win this next game. The, for me the Clippers if if they are a championship contending team, they need to come out next game put this to bed and stop sort of toying with them almost. The, the Nuggets are a good team. They are playing very, very well. But when you look up and down the rosters, they shouldn't really be competing as well as they are against this Clippers team. Um, they are they're just playing so well. And uh, I think MPJ was right. When they share the ball more and more people are hitting shots, they are a way better team it's just not they they're not hitting those shots night in night out last night they did and yeah it's hard, it's hard for a coach to want to get everyone involved when people are missing shots because he doesn't yeah. want to be down 15 <laughs> and then have to claw back against Kawhi Leonard this is not an ideal situation to be in is it exactly and it helped that the Clippers weren't firing all cylinders last night so when they are firing on all cylinders and the Nuggets maybe don't get that contribution from Millsap. I feel like they aren't going to survive very long in this series. So for me, it, it ends next game. What about you? Yeah, same as you. I don't think they can risk taking it to game seven, not with the way that some of their best, better offensive players defend in Harrell and uh, Lou Williams. Uh, and I don't think that their attitude necessarily is ready for a game seven right now. I think they just need to almost treat this one as a Game 7, go out and win it and just get their rest because you don't want to be having to go to, through to a Game 7 and then going on to play a LeBron team. Uh, yeah. That's just not, not ideal when you're trying to make a championship run. Um, but speaking of LeBron team, we'll move across to the other part of LA. Um, we have uh, also the Clippers, by the way, have got their uh, their own um, arena now has been in Inglewood has been granted by the local council so they can finally move away from the Staples Centre. So I thought I'd just add that in as a little bit of Good news for Clipper fans. I know they're all buzzing to kind of get away from Staples and have their own venues. So that's that'd be nice for them for the future championship run. Um, but back to the Lakers, three-one uh, Ben, uh, opposite to the Clippers. The Lakers turned it on in their game four. Um, LeBron kind of got it done on both ends. Uh, James Harden again, awful in the fourth. Uh, they missed Daniel House because of uh, <laughs> reasons we spoke about before. Uh, and yeah, similar story of Houston. We don't like the offense. Their offense doesn't have enough shot creators. Harden struggles late in these big games. Whether it's his fault or not, it depends who you talk to. Uh, and the Lakers looked better with AD at center. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of how game three and four have been? And did the Lakers wrap it up this evening in game five? Again, like I've been saying for the Clippers, the Lakers, I think, need to wrap it up today. A, to show that they are there to win a championship and show how serious they are about this. And B, um, just to get some rest and to get their, get a bit of practice in, get everybody firing again. Um, because they're still not the best team offensively. I think what's winning them this series is their defence at the moment, which surprisingly, in a way, is being led by LeBron. I know he's sometimes can be very lackadaisical on that end of the floor, but he has really stepped up defensively in this series and he's not letting anything easy through. 
Um, and it's it's hurting Houston. The, they're being just outplayed defensively. The rebounding is so lopsided. Like Eric Gordon's not playing well. His shots aren't going down. Westbrook can't shoot anyway. Um, when he drives and can make a basket, that's when they look good. But because there's always somebody there guarding the paint, he's a bit more hesitant than he normally would be to try and take those driving shots. And they're leaving him open for the for the jump shots. So he's getting lazy and taking them. And that just plays right into this Lakers team's hand. They get the rebound. They've got someone leaking out ready. They can make that pass. And it's the quick run-in offense works for them. So, yeah, Houston aren't looking good. I can see, though, Harden coming out tonight and scoring like 40 and just giving them a lifeline, taking it to 3-2. But, um, yeah, Lakers need to put their foot down and end it as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that extra rest can be crucial, can't it? With a, not an older team, obviously, but a couple of players, like KCP isn't the, the youngest. Um, obviously, LeBron always likes to do a little bit of rest at his age. AD suffers with injuries a lot, so why risk an extra game if you can? Um, so, yeah, I agree with you that the sooner they can end it, the better it is for their, for their chances going forward. Um, but in terms of the Rockets, they had no points off PJ Tucker in 33 minutes, three points off Covington in 24 minutes. Um, had to rely on Austin Rivers to score you 14 points off the bench, which is always a little bit of a worry. Um, and I kind of, I don't know, I know I, we slag off the system a lot, but there's times when the small ball lineup defends incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, there's not many teams that defend better than them. On a night, not every night, but on a on a night to night basis, sometimes. Um, but I just thought that the, the way they played in the last game uh, it was absolutely awful. I think the effort wasn't there, and they came back, didn't they, towards the start of the fourth, end of the third, with just three point shooting as they do. But the first two quarters, the lack of effort for such a huge game, I just couldn't believe, and I just think I don't know whose fault that is, but. If you're going to do stuff like that, there's an absolutely no chance you're ever going to win a second round series, let alone win a championship, which is obviously what the Rockets want to do long term. Uh, and I just think they're coming towards the end of their run a little bit now. I just think in the last three years, they've had a great chance to do something. This year, there's no Warriors. I know yeah. the Clippers, Clippers are obviously a strong team and the Lakers have got those two stars, but they were brand new teams that were kind of having to find their feet. This was the chance for the Rockets to have their last go, in my opinion, after probably should have been able to get to a finals one or two times against the Warriors but they just can't do it and I just don't think this team's made up to do it and as much as I like Westbrook um, I'm just not sure that that he's going to help them get over the line uh, in this series and come back I think the Lakers are going to quite easily win it 4-1 though yeah it like you said that small ball defence can work but I think against a bigger team like this it's so must be so draining having them banging against you and putting you on your on your heels and you have to rotate fast or all the screens and stuff and then you've got players like LeBron just sealing Tucker out and getting those lovely passes from Rondo over the top and just an easy layup it must be so demoralizing and then when you're going down the other end and you're trying to recoup like most teams will kind of rest a little bit on defense these days where the Rockets have to work on defense and then their offense is their rest. They'll run up the court and part stand still, pass the ball around, hit a three and run back. And when you're not hitting threes and you're still letting baskets leak in over the top of all your players, it must be so demoralizing. So that's got to be a mental factor playing into the game. Yeah, and they do have to work so hard on that end that it's a bit of a struggle. And they play high minutes to have all season, like we said with Daniel House being out. The minutes are only increasing for some of their main players. So I think they just look, they just look lethargic and maybe lack of effort. Maybe like they know the series is over. Uh, and I just can't see Harden coming out now and scoring 40-50. I just think he's got into that funk that he gets into late in playoff series and I just think he could easily come out and score an inefficient 30, but an inefficient 30 against a very efficient 25 from AD, 25 from LeBron isn't really going to make much of an uh, 
an impact on the game. Yeah. So yeah, I just agree with you. I think we both had Lakers in in four or five. Uh, no, five or six. Sorry, I think it'll be Lakers in five, and then they can move on to the uh, to the next round. But just a quick added note there. You said that uh, the Rockets struggle with all the banging, but I thought uh, Daniel House quite liked a bit of banging. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's too busy pulling out now, so uh, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Um, cool. Well, that's the West, <laughs> and that's Daniel House. I have to get him on for an interview, maybe. Be a lovely chat. Yeah, we'll. we'll uh, I'll send you some uh, protective gear, and we'll Skype video call it. <laughs> I'll get him on. Sounds like a plan. Cool. All right. Well, on to the last topic then, um, the biggest one really. We've got an Eastern Conference preview, Ben. Um, Celtics oh, oh, oh. versus Heat. Uh, this is good for me because I put a bet on both these teams <laughs> to win the East uh, before the season started. So I'm in for some cash money, uh, but unfortunately I win more if the Celtics win. So I might be cheering on the, uh, the boys <laughs> in green. Um, Rumours are Gordon Hayward can come back at some point in this finals, uh, Eastern Conference finals. Uh, we don't know when, um, but he started to get shots up now. He starts to get out on the court, not quite running fully yet side to side, but He's getting in a little bit of work. He's obviously back in the bubble now, so he doesn't have to quarantine anymore. He's already done that, which is good. Um, so that's going to be a, a, a big thing for the Celtics. In terms of the Heat, obviously they're going to have a full week's rest because um, game one's not scheduled till Tuesday. So a good news for the Celtics with Gordon Hayward. Good news for the Heat in terms of having that that key rest before the, before it starts. What are your thoughts on kind of how the series goes before we talk about any predictions at the end? This for me is gonna be such a grind. Like they are gonna go so hard against each other. It's gonna be a hell of a series. Uh the matchups are really good as well. Um Bam Adebayo could be a difference maker for the Heat here. Uh although Daniel Tice has played very well in the minutes he's been getting. Uh he surprised me actually. Tice, yeah. well he's done in the playoffs. I thought a good regular season player, but I thought he might struggle in the playoffs. But I agree with you, he's done really well. Yeah, I've been really impressed. Um, both fairly deep rosters, especially with I completely forgot about Hayward. <laughs> like when he comes back, it's just another person that can score for the Celtics. Um, so it'd be really, really good to see him back. Actually, um, I really like Hayward and, and what he brings to a team. Um, so that that'd be really good. Drogic versus Kemba Walker, really intriguing matchup there as well. No defense there, is there? Nope, no, no, just just <laughs> going at each other there, just walking through, scoring baskets. Um, then you got who would, Marcus, you, who would Jimmy guard? Do you think? Well, Mark Smart's going to try and guard Jimmy, hundred percent. Definitely, definitely. it'll be Tatum or Brown, won't it? You'd have thought. Yeah, for Jimmy, um, and then Crowder was left. Yeah, true. Unless Hayward plays, and then Crowder might have to guard him. It's a bit of a bigger body. It's such an interesting yeah. series, and they're both so good defensively as well. Yeah, and again, both really well coached. So it, it this could go any which way. It, this could be like every get seven games of overtime like this. <laughs> Honestly, is a hell of a matchup. You put a bet on that. Seven, no. seven games of overtime, good odds. The odds would have to be incredible for me to put any form of money on that. But <laughs> it's it's still not out of the realms of possibility when you look at the way that this could go. Um, my only thing is maybe the Heat have, like I said, that slight advantage with Bam being a bit bigger and Kelly O'Linick. Um, pulling Tice out onto the three-point line, opening up the paint a bit more. Um, and with Jimmy, just just being older and more experienced might be able to cling on to this. And Tyler Hero has been playing incredible as well. Just another person for them to try and figure out and try and guard. Um, it's going to be really tricky so if if I'm gonna put something on this, I, I'm gonna go heat in six. Oh wow. 
That's big. Six-game series. No, yeah. you, can't, you realize it can't be uh, seven games of overtime if there's only a six-game series, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured that out just in my head. <laughs> um, no, that's. I think a lot of people will, will, will be leaning towards uh, six games one way or another because I think they both just come from... Uh, the Celtics just come from such a hard series that they could struggle yeah. um, in some people's eyes. And in other people's eyes, they're far superior. Um so I think it's going to be be a really interesting series. In terms of my thoughts, I think you you hit the nail on the head with the Bam comments. I think he could be crucial um, because I think he runs around so much. He's involved in so many dribble handoffs that Daniel Tice is going to have to kind of shadow him around the court a lot, um, which will kind of leave the basket more, more yeah. exposed maybe than even normal. And we, we've said so many times, haven't we, at the start of the bubble, at least when we first started the pod, that the Celtics' lack of size, maybe at the centre position and maybe ability, as harsh as that sounds, are the, are, the, are the big position that they could struggle inside against some teams. And this could be an example where that happens because um, Bam can obviously really do well inside, but also do well dribble handoffs outside and kind of can hit a three-pointer to stretch it if he needs to. So I think he'll be crucial. I think Kelly Linick will be a no-factor, I just think, Daniel Tice or Robert Williams will be able to guard him. And obviously he used to play for the Celtics, so he's going to be on a bit of a revenge tour. But Brad Stevens yeah. will know how to guard him off the bench. So I think Bam's going to have to play big minutes. It will be key. Um, I'm fascinated to see Tatum versus Jimmy Butler. I think this could be the game series sorry, where you just see Tatum take another step up into stardom. Um, or Jimmy can do what he does, which is prove people that he's the best defensive star, which he, he kind of wants to be. Um, yeah. I know Kawhi has that like mantle, doesn't he? But you can tell that Jimmy likes to be the underdog, he likes to be the defender, the scrapper, um, and close games out. But yeah, I'm very interested. I, I don't know where to link because it's hard to know with um, we don't know when Hay was going to come back, so he could come back in game seven and play 15 minutes because obviously he would have been out for six, seven weeks. Yeah, or he could come back in game two, build up, and be a 30 minute game player. So it's really hard to know. But for me, I'm going to go with the Celtics. Uh, I love the Heat as well. They're probably my favourite team to watch. Um, I get on really well with Dan from Miami Heat UK, so shout out to him. But I'm going to go Celtics in seven, slightly for financial reasons due to my preseason <laughs> bet. Uh, and also, I just think Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker will be, be too much to handle, I think, for the Heat. Um, but I could live to regret that. Uh, it's, it's so funny, is it? Because you could easily talk each other out of whichever way you go for this series. Yeah, definitely. I think that the key factor for me is a little bit of experience. And obviously, this is kind of the heat, their younger players' first run at this. Um, whereas the Celtics obviously did this with LeBron before. And they've had that experience of losing that, which obviously was huge for them. Um, and obviously, Hayward's kind of been a playoff player in the West himself. So I'm going to lean Celtics. I think I wanted to say in six, but because the Heat just do entertain me so much, I'm, I'm going to lean to to a seven game Eastern Conference series, which would be nice. Is that all uh, overtime, or is that just all regular? It's going to be one overtime. Uh, okay. And Marcus Smart is going to bang a big three, in whatever overtime that is. He's going to do a Daniel House. He's going to do Daniel House. Big bang. Yeah, Mike Breen's going to be banging all over the place. Um, but no, I think seven games. I think even if the Heat win, it would be seven games for me. I just think. I think it's going to be a long series. And if the Celtics can get through to the to the finals, I just think what a job Stevens has done because he'd about to have gone in a seven playoff game series against Nick Nurse and then has to go, in my opinion, against a six or seven game series against Coach Spo. Um, that is just going to be a hell of a run. Um, yeah. But a last little question for you um, before we get any more of your thoughts on it was, with the Heat and Celtics being confirmed, um, I know we both think it's going to be Lakers-Clippers. And most people would probably say Lakers and Clippers are the favourites for the title. They kind of have all year. But the way they've actually played, don't you see at the moment, currently, whoever wins the East as being the stronger team going into the finals? doesn't mean that will play out, but I think both teams in the East are playing better than both teams in the West for me. Yeah. I Looking at, from what we've seen so far, I think either of those Eastern teams, you could definitely say they are now the favourites for whoever they play against in the West. However, we frequently say the West is a lot stronger than the East. So is it, because we've, we've only seen West play West and East play East for, for quite a while now, 
is it that there's that disparity between the two? Although the West teams look like they're playing worse, is it because the basketball is maybe a slightly higher quality and therefore looks a bit worse, if you know what I'm saying? So when they actually meet up, the West team will end up being a more more dominant maybe or look more basketball finals ready than we think they have been all this playoff run. Potentially, I, I, I do think that. The, yeah. I, I don't yeah. really buy into that myself, even though I'm bringing the theory up. I think the East teams do look better, full stop. It's just difficult to write off either of those West teams, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think regular season wise, there's a big argument, isn't there, about West strength and the East lack of strength. But when it comes to second round playoffs, and you've got a Houston team that kind of everybody thought wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to win games against the Lakers, and you've got a a Nuggets team that has come off a huge series where they probably were even lucky to win in the first first round. Yeah. Um, whereas these two teams in the East have come out and beaten the defending champs with the best coach that we've raved about. Uh, and then the Heat have beaten the team that's had the best um, game-by-game rating ever in the NBA. Obviously, the number one seed, they won more games than the Lakers. Uh, yeah. The Bucks only lost to Lakers or Clippers once as well. So I do think that in general, that theory is probably true, but I think the way that the round two has gone would lead me to say that currently the East teams might be playing better um, and that we could have a similar story to last year where everyone kind of favoured whoever was going to come out of the West, whether it be Houston or um, the Warriors and then obviously Blazers when they got to the finals. And then really, maybe the Raptors were the best team all along and we kind of overlooked them because they were an East team. I think that could be very similar with this Boston Celtics or this Miami Heat squad. Yeah. But we'll have to see. I think either way, it'll be a, be a good finals. Um, there's a lot of star power involved in all the... I know the four teams aren't confirmed because the Nuggets could win, so we're kind of moving forward a little bit. But from what we think is going to happen, I think there'll be some good star players, which is nice to see, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, really, really good. And this is what we've wanted all season, isn't it? Just... All the stars, everybody playing well, some great matchups, some great basketball. Like what what more could you ask? It's it just it's so entertaining. It's so and not as well, not massively predictable. Um yeah, I don't think the Bucks be, losing. Yeah, I don't think there'd be many people that would have said at the beginning of the season the final the East Eastern Conference Finals will be Miami Boston. Just me with my two bets. Yeah. <laughs> that was for odds, though. You're looking at odds, aren't you? And you're saying, ah, oh, I didn't fancy the Raptors before the season. I'm not going to lie. They've definitely proved me wrong. Um, and the Bucks were just too short. Everyone kind of thought they were going to be the, the favourites in there going into the East this year with Giannis being the reigning MVP. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Probably a little bit of a shocker for people, which is good to see. Um, in terms of the MVP, what, what, when are they going to do it? Obviously, he's left now. Do you think they're just going to wait a few days, let that uh, walk under the bridge a little bit, let him kind of get over that defeat and then give it to him? Or or you think they're just going to leave it a couple of weeks to try and get the media away from the fact that he just got demolished in around two playoffs? Yeah, like we're saying, they probably put it in the post just to his house, sort of maybe third class or something. So it's on the way. <laughs> it's, one of, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Like, I think Giannis... He will win MVP this year. And I think he is the he was the best player in the league last this year. But I don't think he's the most valuable player. Uh I think there needs to be two awards, really. Yeah, that makes sense. And then a final and then a finals one is like a third award for the biggest game of them all, I guess. Yeah, so you have your your regular season best player, your overall most valuable player, which will either be Kawhi or LeBron year in, year out, essentially. Um, With Luka pushing his way into it, definitely. But in terms of what Giannis has done this season, he, he would get the best player of the season award what he's done in the minutes he's been involved in is, is phenomenal. But when this playoff run highlights how far away he is from being the most valuable player in the league, 
because yeah, and for a championship run. Yeah, he can't take over games. He can't change his style of play. When it's going bad, it's going bad. The amount of fouls he gives away, it's difficult to then be like, yeah, yeah, he's he's easily the best player in the league because he's not. He's just not. That's the end of it. This is why me and you had him outside our top two and three, respectively, for uh, top ten players when we did that list. I think you had LeBron and Kawhi, and then I had KD, Kawhi, then LeBron, all above him. So, yeah, I just think he's the best player in the regular season, but maybe a a tier away when it comes to playoff basketball, which is kind of the most important, I guess. But, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see when they do it. Speaking of betting again, obviously I've got a very large bet I mentioned before on MVP that I'm just desperately waiting to come in so I can actually book a holiday or something, you know, for next year with that money. <laughs> Take us away. Yeah. A, buy myself a Hardwood Hoops podcast. Hardwood Hoops trip. Yeah, no, I'll just buy, buy you a t-shirt maybe with the logo on that costs about a tenner instead from our yeah, sponsors. It'd be much better. <laughs> I'll do. Cool. All right, well, let's leave it there. The plan, again, is to record uh, at the end of this week. Uh, when we'd have seen, I think, two games in the East Eastern Conference Finals, we'll know the West Finals matchup, and I think maybe we'll be heading towards Game One of that as well. So we'll do our Western Conference preview in that episode. Yeah, uh, just a shout out again to our sponsors, obviously at Mugs NFL. Uh, they're you're their go-to guys really for anything you want NBA or NFL related in terms of mugs, t-shirts, and hoodies. Uh, go over to their Twitter page, check them out, and you can just order from the DMs, and it's just much easier. They send it straight away within three days. So. So, yeah, get over there. And um, all that's left to say, Ben, is enjoy your week of basketball, mate. Yeah. No banging in the bubble, everyone. <laughs> no banging in the bubble. See you later, Daniel House. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.